right, all right. You know, I've been a Christ follower for about 24 years now. I've been pastoring full-time for 23 years. Some of my great friends in life are pastors. I've spent a large portion of my life around those in ministry, especially pastors. I've traveled the country with some of the biggest pastors. I've spoken on stages with some of those pastors. And I can stand up here today and say with all confidence that some of the fakest people in all the world are pastors. Just reality. 9.9 times out of 10, what you see on this stage is not what you will get Monday through Saturday if you were to run into those people. And it really goes back to the culture that we have created. We have created a culture where we have elevated the pastor up to a level where they feel like they need to make everyone feel like they have it all together for fear of those attending their church leaving or for fear of them losing their job. (laughs) Pastors cannot mess up. Let's back that up. Let's not even say pastors can't mess up. Pastors can't even be human anymore. For example, let's say hypothetically speaking, you were in a wiffle ball tournament yesterday. Let's say hypothetically, it's the biggest wiffle ball tournament in the state of Georgia. I don't know if that's true, but that's just how I talk, and so I declared it that. And let's say hypothetically, someone enters a team into said tournament. That, by the way, raised over $5,000 for homeless veterans. That's pretty impressive. Let's say that hypothetically, this team enters this tournament, and they're immediately the kind of the enemy of everyone, because they're the outsiders. They don't live in the neighborhood where it's being held. And maybe the person who sponsors that team talks a lot of trash on social media, hypothetically speaking, about what they're going to do in said wiffle ball tournament. Let's say hypothetically, to get that team eliminated from the wiffle ball tournament, wiffle ball tournament, they put that team against the favorite team to win the wiffle ball tournament, In the first round. Let's just say hypothetically that happens. Let's say hypothetically that after the first inning, said team is losing to the favorite team four to nothing, and hypothetically the sponsor of that team is ripping on his own team. He's mad. He's yelling at them, telling them they're fired, they're done, through the sound system, because let's say hypothetically they were dumb enough to give someone a microphone. But let's say by the second inning, it's 18 to 4, in favor of the team that nobody wanted to win, and suddenly the favorite team doesn't look like they're the favorite team anymore. Let's say hypothetically that the person with the microphone was a pastor, and he began to make fun of the team that was losing in a very serious way. Because, again, they deserved to be made fun of. They were the favorites. And did I mention they were losing 18-4? to Let's say, hypothetically speaking, that while he's making fun of them, he sees they're getting so angry, and that just fuels his desire that they are such immature losers that he continues to make fun of. I'm just saying this is all hypothetical. Let's say 
About the 18 to 4 mark, he goes to the Senate and says, would you all like to invoke the mercy rule? And quit. You're playing like quitters, you might as well quit. Let's say that maybe they dropped some F-bombs back at this person with the microphone who hypothetically might have been a pastor. And let's just say from that moment on, it was all a blur and it was on like Donkey Kong. Let's say it got broke up and things went back to normal. And let's say said pastor's father-in-law decides he's going to smooth out a situation that was pretty much already smoothed out, I in my opinion, because... We, I mean, hypothetically, that team was still winning. My team. And let's say, hypothetically, from across the field, suddenly you see your calm father-in-law is not so calm and the fingers flaring and, the, and you run across the field and Bubba runs across the field and family runs across the field and Christine runs across the field and the referee's throwing teams out and people are screaming and people are in headlocks and people are talking about shooting each other over a wiffle ball game and... Let's just say it got a little bit crazy. Hypothetically speaking. Can I tell you what the first move will always be in that situation from the ones who lost? He's a pastor. He shouldn't act that way. Now, it's funny, when you're confessing all your crap to me about your marriage three weeks ago, it was okay, it was cool that I was a pastor. Oh, did I say that? Hypothetically speaking. But today I'm a pastor. I can't just be a regular person who got angry in a situation. Doc, you were there, you saw I was innocent. I was egged on. Point being... Had that same situation happened with any of you, it would not be the talk of Canton, Georgia. But we have unrealistic expectations on pastors. And we wonder why they feel like they have to live their life fake, not doing life with other people. I'll never forget when I gave my life to Christ, I went had a pastor come along and he mentored me. You heard me talk about a little Cherokee Indian pastor. and He got diagnosed with leukemia. And he was going to die. And he's, this day he's still alive, but I mean, he, he was bad. And I'll never forget, he would get up on stage, and he believed this. I'm not saying he was being a liar by any means. He would get up and talk about he loved God and he knew heaven was a place for him, and he was not afraid of it. And I, I believe all that stuff. He, he, I don't think he was lying. But I would be with him behind the scenes, and the reality was he had a wife, and he had several children, and there was a fear. He was not ready. Though he knew heaven was a real place, he was not ready to move on, and there was fear in his life. And I remember, though, people in the congregation, it was a larger church, would always come up and be like, man, I just don't feel like I have faith. They called him Brother Randy. I just don't have the faith that Brother Randy has. And so many times I want to look at them and be like, yes, you do. He's just as scared as you would be. But he doesn't feel like he has the freedom to get up on stage and share that. And I swore then and there that if God ever gave me the honor of being a pastor, if people hated it, I would be as real as I could be. 
What you saw on Sunday, you would see on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, hypothetically at a wiffle ball game. That's what you would see. I also decided early on, and let me make this as clear as possible, that I would never, ever apologize for being who I am. The people that liked it, liked it, and the people who don't, and that was okay. I, I just decided early on, I was going to be as real as possible. And we're in a series called Real AF where I'm telling you some things where I'm even becoming more raw and more unfiltered and more uncensored because the reality is we all struggle with the same things. We all have the same fears, the same insecurities, the same issues. They might look different. They might have different skin. But all of us struggle. But pastors all over the country today are going to get up and act like they have it all together. And in the process, there's going to be churches full of people who think they can't measure up to this man-made standard by a pastor who's being fake. And I don't think he's being fake to be fake. He's being fake out of fear of being real. The Bible says in James 5.16, confess your faults one to another. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That's a powerful verse to me because at the end it's giving the answer to what we're dealing with. So we we may be healed emotionally, we may be healed physically, we may be healed mentally, we may be healed spiritually. What do we have to do? We have to confess to each other our inadequacies. We have to quit acting like we have it all together. Quit acting like we're we're all perfect. Quit acting like we have the perfect marriage and the perfect children and the perfect finances and the perfect this and the perfect that. And we need to realize that man, we all screw up. Pastor included, leadership included, and as we confess to each other, the person we confess to then knows how to invoke the power of prayer in our lives, and we get healed and we get victory over those things. So many of us can't get victory because we're fake. We're afraid of what others will think of us if we were to be wrong. If I was to tell someone I struggled with this, what would they think of me? I don't know, but the chances are they struggle with this. We all have hurts, we all have habits, we all have hang-ups. And the church has invoked, especially here in America, it's invoked this place of fakeness. And on Sunday mornings across our country, it's literally the fakest place on earth. And I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm not saying it because I hate the church. I'm saying it's the reason why we breed hypocrites. It's why we breed fake Christianity. Because we can't be raw. We're the only army that shoots our wounded. Someone messes up in the church and what do we do? We shun them. We get rid of them. We're done with them. Instead of coming around and saying, man, I get it. We're going to get out of this. Man, confess your faults to one another. So I'm going to confess some things. And I've been confessing some things. First week, it was a very uh, prophetic message. I confess that I've been in a fighting mood lately. Last week, I confessed to you that the reality is I don't like most Christians. Now, we defined what a Christian was in that message. Convenient Christianity we talked about. Those who pull the pastor card, even though they ain't been to church in 20 years. 
You know. But today might shock you a little bit, and I'll be honest with you, as I went to type it, it was hard for me to type. Because as I typed it out and I read it, it just didn't look right, and it actually convicted me. But then as I began to explore and break down the Scripture and look at it, it made me feel a little more confident. And my confession this week is there are times when I doubt God. I don't like that. I'm not proud of that. I'm not bragging about that. But there's just times in life that things happen and I just don't get it. I understand that God is in control. I understand that everything works out for good for those who love God. I get it. I understand that God sees the big picture that I do not see. I get all of that. I don't need the easy answers thrown at me, the cliche answers. I understand it. Not only do I understand it, I believe it. But there's times I doubt God. There's times I just don't understand why certain things are happening the way they're happening. I used to be a guy that loved to make deals with God. Anybody ever know someone who makes deals with God? I was a deal maker with God. Man, God, if I get this raise, I'm going to go to church for a year. God, if I can get an A on this report card, I'll stop doing this. God, I promise. We've all made that deal. Most of us have made that deal. And the most convincing deal, the most sincere deal, you've heard me share this before, is maybe that night you've had too much to drink and you're hugging the porcelain throne. We've all been there. I would say it's safe to say 90% of us have at least been there one time in life. You're vomiting. Literally tears are coming down your face. And I got to be honest, it's some of the most sincere prayers you have ever prayed in your life. God, please, I will never drink again. Just please make this stop. I'm begging you. Deals with God. I used to be one of those guys. God, if you'll make this happen. God, if I wake up in the morning and that crooked picture is straight, I know you've called me to be a missionary and I'm headed off overseas. You know what I mean? Man. But those things wouldn't always happen the way I thought they should happen in my deal making. And I would doubt God. I've matured in my faith a little bit and I don't no longer make deals with God. But I've matured in my faith, and I'm still just going to be honest. I still doubt God at times. When I walk into the home of a family that I love dearly, and they ask me to pray over their mother before she takes her last breath from cancer, and I see three or four little kids running around the house I know are no longer going to have a mother, I'm just going to be honest. I understand that God has a plan and God has a purpose. But in those situations, I doubt God. 
I can't tell you how many times I've been in situations where I stood strong and I had to tell people, man, you've got to trust God in this situation. This is where your faith kicks in. And I get in the car and my faith doesn't kick in. And I'm wondering, man, did I just give them something that I couldn't do if I was in the same shoes they were in? When I get a phone call from a lady and her husband has cleaned out the checking account and he's taken off and she doesn't know how she's going to keep the lights on and she's left, he's left her and the kid. I, I just question God sometimes. I could go on and on and on. Well, this is, when bad things happen to what I deem good people, I just don't understand. I, I, I doubt God sometimes when I see this great couple over here and they want a baby so bad and for whatever reason they can't get pregnant. But I see this crackhead over here who's already lost four kids, is pregnant again. He says, that's not very Christ-like. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. I, I don't understand it sometimes. I'm not saying God's not in control. I'm not saying God doesn't know what's best. I'm saying in my natural state as a human being, I doubt God at times. When I got into Bible college, I'll be honest with you, I thought it would solidify my faith. I thought the doubts that I had would be answered 100% as I learned and I studied and I became deeper in my theology. But to be honest with you, Bible college made me doubt my faith even more. I would see the idiots in my class and I would think to myself, if God's called those people into ministry then I doubt God. I would watch them stay after school and debate the most irrelevant topics that theologians haven't agreed on for thousands of years. And I'm thinking, man, I just want to go hang out with people who don't know Jesus and maybe introduce them to Jesus one day. I I just doubted God. There was a group of them that I lovingly called the Christian Nazis. I never forget they cared more about what you wore what version of the Bible you were using, what side of your head that the part went to. Then they did the fact that people all around them were dying going to hell. I just would see people rise up. Or i got to be honest with you, I see the pastors that are on our mainstream society and people look at them and think, man, if that's what church is, and I look at these same pastors, I'm like, I get it! I just don't understand sometimes, God. Now, I also understand this, especially if you're new here. You're thinking to yourself, I'm listening to a guy with no shoes on, blue jeans, and a (laughs) t-shirt. And that's really not what I want to hear the pastor of the church I'm attending say, that he doubts God. I get it. You want your pastor to be a rock that strong shoulder to cry on. You want your pastor at a hypothetical wolf ball tournament to turn to the other cheek and say, God bless you, brothers. <laughs> Golly dupers. <laughs> and I can be a rock for you, because I've been a rock for a lot of you. And I can be a shoulder to cry on. I don't know that I can ever be the turn the other cheek pastor. It's just I'm not wired that way. I know I should be. But I turn it a lot, you'd be surprised. And I hope, 
I can be what you need me to be when you need me to be it. But when you're going through hard times and I don't understand them internally, though I'm trying to be a rock for you on the outside, inside I'm going to be honest, I'm probably doubting God and why you're going through this. I'm questioning. And again, I want to repeat this over and over and over and over. I understand God is in control of everything, but I have moments of doubt. As I've grown in my faith, I've realized that this Jesus thing is all about a relationship and not a religion. And there's times in relationships that you don't always see eye to eye. Now the problem is when, when, you're, when you have a disagreement with your spouse and you don't see eye to eye, sometimes they're right and sometimes you're right. The problem with the relationship with God when you don't see eye to eye, he's always right. And you might as well accept that. But we're stubborn and we're mule-headed and we're just going to doubt God sometimes. Hmm. It's not about a lifeless religion. It's about a thriving relationship. And relationships are about trust and building that up and work. And no matter how much you trust, there's still going to be times you doubt. I have learned that my confidence and trust has become more and more that I build my relationship and quit focusing on my religion. I've actually learned over the years, and we're going to get to the scripture here in a minute, I've actually learned that doubting can be a good thing. I've learned that doubting many times, especially when I doubt God and I seek the answers for my doubt, it strengthens my faith. I think one of the biggest things that I have learned over the years, especially here recently, is I have been learning to believe God. Don't miss this. It's going to get confusing for a minute. I have been learning to believe God instead of believing in God. Huge difference. For example, I believe in airplanes. They exist. Airplanes can fly you from point A to point B. They say they're amazing technology. I believe in them. I know they exist. That being said, I don't believe airplanes. You're not putting me in a metal tube with two metal wings and going to convince me that you can fly me from point A to point B without giving me a tranquilizer when I get on the plane. So while I know they exist and I know they do what they do, I still don't believe they have the ability to do what they say they do. I'm scared to death of them. It's not going to happen. doesn't seem fun to me. That's what we do with God. We believe in God. We know he exists. We know there's a higher power. We know there's a God. We know there has to be someone else. But we don't believe God. We don't trust God has the answer to everything. We don't trust God can take control of whatever of our life is. So we give them the areas that we're, we're confident. I'll give you my marriage, God. I'll give you my, my finances, God. I don't believe you. God, I'm going to give you this, this, and this, but I'm going to hold on to this. There's a huge difference in believing in God and believing God. When you believe God, you trust him in every aspect. When I believe airplanes, that means I trust every aspect of everything is going to go the way it should and the little motor is going to spin and the thingies are going to work and the noggle boggle is going to noggle boggle and whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen. I don't believe airplanes. 
When I believe God, I trust God. Even when I don't understand God. When you believe God, you realize that no matter what is going on, that God has a plan and God has a purpose and God has a reason for what is happening. When you simply believe in God, it leaves our mind open to question things. The reality is most people, unless they're an atheist, believe in God. The Bible says even the demons believe in God. James 2.16 says, you believe there's one God? Good. That's God's way of saying, big deal. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. Even the demons believe there's a God. But they don't believe in God. Even as a pastor, there are times I get caught up in this, in this trap of just believing in God instead of believing God. I, I've seen God work way too much, yet I still don't always live my life believing God. Because I don't believe God is in control of everything when something goes wrong, whether it's my marriage or whether it's my business or whatever. Instead of believing God's in control and God will work it out, I go into fix-it mode. I'll throw up a haphazard prayer. But the reality is I'm not believing God can fix it. I'm doubting God because my actions are different than what my vocals are. I recently read this as it pertains to believing God and believing in God. And it really clicked with me. It said there was three different types of people who believe in God. It said, first of all, there's the casual believer. The C&E's. Christmas and Easter. The casual believer. This is really what I like to call the American Christian. Hence the people I was talking about earlier. They don't go to church anywhere. Couldn't find Genesis in their Bible. Haven't prayed ever. But they'll tell you exactly how the pastor ought to act. The casual believer. It's convenient. Oh, my friend's baby's getting christened. I went to the christening even though... I ain't been to church in five years, neither have they. But, man, that was important for the baby to get sprinkled, even though you can't find that in the Bible anywhere. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. I'm just saying, you know, casual believer. This is the people that don't pray all year, but by God, do not cut that turkey on Thanksgiving until we pray. Thanksgiving, by God, we're praying. The casual believer. This is the person who don't pray all year until everything goes wrong. They, they think God's the, got a red phone like the bat phone. Boom. Yeah. Hey, I know you don't remember me. It's been about three years. Last time I get right when so-and-so was in that wreck and everything was falling apart. I know I ain't talked to you since then, but hey, I need you to casual believer. The problem is these people don't allow God to, to guide their lives. They're casual about it. They believe in God. They would tell you there's a God. They're the, they're the ones that kill me. I get these phone calls all the time. Hey, me and my fiance are getting married, and we want to get married in a church. Why? I'm always like, where do you go to church? Well, we don't. Then why do you want to get married in a church? My answer is always like, well, I don't pastor a church. I we're in a grocery store. <laughs> like, I've just never understood that. We want to get just go to the get the judge to do it. Like, why do you want to get married in a church? You don't go to church. I don't understand that. I'm not dogging. I'm just saying it just doesn't make sense to me. 
you're a casual believer. Granny taught you about God growing up, and so there's, there's a little ounce of it in you. The convenient believer. This is the believer, the Christian, who's a believer when it's easy and it benefits them. This is the Christian that puts the Jesus fish on their business logo. We tell you how not to use someone for business. The Jesus fish is on their logo. It's convenient. Hey, I want everyone to know I'm a Christian. I won't rip you off. That's really sad for I'm probably going to rip you off. And you, you say, well, that's horrible. Ask, any, can you ask anybody out there who's done business with someone. The convenient believer. I can't tell you how many people, I want to be real careful here because I don't want to call out names, go to a couple of churches in our community, and I talk to them, and they'll tell me, I can't stand the way the preacher preaches. I don't really like the church. But boy, the business connections I've made there. Boy. You know how many homes I've sold going to that church as a real estate agent? You know how many lawns I've picked up to cut? The convenient, but it's convenient for you. We're like the non-convenient church. You go to Action Church? No, never mind. <laughs> Maybe you should put a Jesus fish on your logo. Do something <laughs> to separate yourself from those people. <laughs> the convenient. They believe in God. But they believe in God for what they can get from God. It benefits them. It's convenient. But then there's the committed believer. This is the person who has moved from believing in God to believing God. And this is what God's looking for. The committed believer. He's looking for people who don't waver in their faith. And when they doubt, they follow up on that doubt. And I'm going to show you what that looks like here in a minute. I promise, I promise, I promise. And I'm going to show you how doubt can strengthen your faith. They don't understand everything, but they're committed to Jesus. So the question is really, leave that up, Sanders. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of believer are you? If you're anything less than the committed believer, then your doubts are going to control you instead of strengthen you. You're believing in God instead of believing God. I've given my life, I think it's safe to say, I don't say this in a braggadocious way. I've given my life to the cause of Christ. I entered ministry full-time. I moved my family to Iowa at 22 years old. I have been in this community for 16 years. I stayed in this community when 99.9% of the pastors would have left. But I knew God had called me here. I didn't care they put me on the front page of the paper. I stayed. I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying it to say, I feel like I have earned the right to say I've committed my life to Christ, to serving Christ. Yet I still doubt. Just being honest with you. I still have moments of doubt. And the good thing about that as I read the Bible, it's amazing what happens when you read the Bible, try it sometime, is it's full of people who doubted God. Matter of fact, there's a cat in the New Testament. He was one of the 12 disciples. Now think about that. Jesus chose 12 men to literally do life with, and that was his tribe. Of that 12, one betrayed him. About 8%. So 
you got about a 1 in 12 chance the person around you is going to betray you. Oh, that's good. I just realized that. I got betrayed by someone recently. I just realized that. That's good. Don't be surprised. I was surprised. Oh, Christine, I was surprised that happened. I'm not surprised now. It happened to Jesus. Hmm. A couple of them are going to cut all people's ear for you like Peter did. I'm ready to fight yesterday. Bubba's ready to fight. Right, way we roll. But then some are going to come along in your group and they're going to doubt. They're going to follow me like, man, I dig gear. I dig, I dig this thing, but man, hmm. I don't know. And in the 12, there was a guy named Thomas. Walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He's one of the 12 closest men. He saw him perform miracles. He saw him heal the blind, the deaf, the mute. I mean, think about this. He saw him raise people from the dead. I'm not a smart man, and I I don't follow easily. But I'm just going to be honest. Lou, you you raised someone from the dead at at Darby. I'm all in. What are you doing, man? Lou, where are we going next? Lou, I'm used to being the alpha, but I'm done. I'm like, man, whatever you say, bro. Where are we we going next? I mean, he was dead. Now he's alive. Thomas saw Jesus raise people from the dead, yet he struggled with doubt. That encourages me today. The man who walked with Christ, ate with Christ, was told by Christ, went through periods of doubt as it pertained to Christ. He was probably a fisherman. Jesus told him to follow him, and he did. He left everything to follow Jesus. He was committed as you can be. But he had doubts. After teaching these disciples day in and day out for three years, Jesus gives his life on the cross for our sins. He died, and three days later he rose from the grave. The disciples have buried him. They have went back to their previous life, back to their previous jobs. After Jesus raises from the grave, he chilled and walked around the earth for 40 days. People saw him with their own eyes. They touched him. They ate with him. Word spread that he who was dead is now alive. All the disciples go looking for him. They're all excited. Everybody but Thomas. Thomas has some doubts along the way. He's alive. Okay. I tell you what, when I can stick my finger in the nail holes in his hands and his feet, I'll believe he's alive. He doubted what he was being told. Even though he'd seen all the miracles and had been told by Jesus himself that he would raise from the dead, Thomas was at a moment of defeat seeing the Savior killed, and he was doubting. I've heard preachers get up for years. Matter of fact, I've never heard a preacher ever, me personally, preach on Thomas in a positive light. I've heard preachers get up and rail on him for his doubt. But I think if you look at the story a little bit deeper... You'll see that Thomas's faith was made so great because he doubted. He didn't just doubt and go about his life. He doubted and put some steps into place to get answers for his doubt. Sincere, honest doubts can be a positive instead of a negative. For so long, the church has had a mindset of let the preacher preach. The people listen, and the people don't question. 
And what has happened is we have a bunch of believers who say they believe one thing but don't know why they believe what they believe. And so when the trouble comes along, they're not willing to stand on their beliefs and they really don't know why they believe it in the first place. Well, Pastor Gary told me. You ain't learned by today. Pastor Gary's human. I might tell you something wrong. They just accept what we say. Most churches, people don't know why they believe what they believe. Deep down, we doubt. But we can't let anyone know we doubt. Because they might look down on us. They might not understand. They might not think we have as strong as faith as them. And so what happens is we have a church who's not afraid to be honest with their doubts and therefore get answers to their doubt that would strengthen their faith. And so they go through life doubting and therefore their faith is small. Let me make this very clear. It's okay to have doubts. I have them too. Instead of fighting your doubts, we need to learn to see the blessing in our doubts. I want to show you how Thomas dealt with his doubts. It's, it's pretty eye-opening and it's pretty simple. Sometimes I think my messages are real deep and I dig that. I'm like, oh man, no one's ever seen this before. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, this is so simple. But sometimes the simple things you simply need a reminder of. First thing Thomas did was he was honest about his doubts. I know that third word is hard for you in church. The word honest. Thomas was honest about his doubts. You know my theory, the fakest place on earth is church. We have to be fake. We have to put our mask on on Sunday mornings. Because God forbid somebody thinks we don't have it all together. You think I'm joking when I say that, but I'm dead serious. Christians are the greatest liars in the world. We are. How many times have you seen a couple in the church get a divorce and you're speechless? What? Thought they were so great. Why? Because they posted how great they were on Facebook? They went to Going Coastal and took a picture. Look, we're in love. We don't know the battles people are facing because we're not open enough to let people know we don't have it all together. We'll never admit we're good at it because I don't know that we think of it as lying. But when you're not telling the truth, you're what? Oh, imagine that. All around our city today, churches are filled with people acting like they have it together. Preachers are preaching messages and people are amening the preacher and they don't even know what they're amening. They're amening because the guy next to them is amening. They don't feel they can be real enough to tell other people that they're struggling. But Thomas, man, he just owns up to it. Look what it says. John 20, 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Now, this is pretty telling to me. They didn't come and say, we've heard he's back. They said, we've seen the Lord. Seen it with my own eyes. I think that would alleviate some... Well, dang, they said they saw him. I know they ain't crazy. But he said, until I see the nail marks in his hands, 
and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let me tell you something. He don't sugarcoat anything there. Now, I dig it. He doesn't say they're lying. He doesn't tell them they're wrong. He doesn't tell them they're pulling a fast one on them. But he simply says, until I see it myself, I won't believe. Thomas is like, I saw him die. I saw him put him in the tomb. And until I stick my fingers where the nail marks are, man, I'm just not going to believe. My goodness, how refreshing the honesty there. This was his boys. He traveled with these guys for the last three years. I don't think he's trying to be negative Nancy. I don't think he's trying to be Eeyore. I don't think he's trying to be a Karen. He's just saying, man, I ain't, until I see it, I ain't believing it. I refuse. Everyone's running around all excited. JC's back. Jesus is back. Oh, my God. And Thomas says, I believe it when I see it. I have my doubts. I can stick my finger there. Forget the fact that I saw him perform all those miracles. I, when I see it, I'll believe it. God, man, I just find this so refreshing. Thomas didn't care what people thought about his honesty. He said, God has to prove it for me to believe it. Thomas realized this is a huge deal. Dead man comes back to life. Big deal. It's a big deal. He realized that if Jesus has done what Jesus said he was going to do, this was a game changer for him. And if Thomas was going to be all out, sold out for the mission of Christ, he had to make sure that that commitment was really what he was committed to. He had to see it with his own eyes. He probably already returned to fishing. He had to make money. Before he walked away for a second time, he said, man, i got to see it. I'm just back in my stride over here. got my boat, got my net, starting to make some money again. i got to see that he's alive. I get it. For years, I followed a pastor who taught me the Bible. But there came a day after I was already pastoring that I took my denominational glasses off and began to read the Bible for the Bible. I made about a six-month commitment to not read biblical commentaries, listen to other sermons, because I didn't want to be influenced. And there's nothing wrong with those things. Those things are great, and you should, I encourage you to use them. But I just wanted to read the Bible. And I would journal my thoughts on things I'd been taught. And I would write down things I questioned. I'd be like, well, man, is that in the Bible? Women can't wear pants? What? Where's that in the Bible? They were really drinking. When they say wine, they meant grape juice. Let me go study that out. No, they meant wine. They meant wine. I began to study out things, and it was amazing. As my eyes begin to open, I was following God, pastoring a church, 
and didn't know why I was doing what I was doing, didn't know why I was preaching what I was preaching. I was preaching what I was preaching because that's what I was taught. I wasn't even sure what I believed. And what made it worse is I was part of a group of such fundamentalists that if I would have let anyone know that I was having doubts, I would immediately have been cut out of the fellowship. Then I'll never forget the day I got honest about it. I was in Iowa. I was taken on as a missionary. So what is it? They would send people out to start churches. and Other churches would send you $50, $100, $200 a month, and they would pay your salary. They had a three-year commitment. About a year and a half in, I start questioning things. So I call the pastor who I feel the safest with, and I tell him, I said, here's some doubts I'm having. I want him to show me how I was wrong. I'll never forget. He said, no, I understand those doubts. It's okay. We hung up. Next day, a church dropped me. Next day, a church dropped me. The next day, a church dropped me. And suddenly, because I was honest about my doubts, I'm in Iowa with a newborn baby and no support. Scared to be honest about doubts. I had to get to the point, though, where my beliefs were my beliefs. And those beliefs that I have now, you want to know why I'm so strong in my beliefs now? And I'm so strong in the way we do church, and I'm so strong in what we teach around here? It's because of my doubts 20-something years ago. I finally was honest about my doubts, began to study out my doubts, and by studying out my doubts, it solidified my beliefs. The seeking led to my believing. Had I never doubted and just been a good soldier, man, I'd have never jumped all in. you got to understand, I, I, I've never really talked much about my past in that area. I was on the fast track. It's a little independent group of churches that was dying because they were so inbred in their belief system. And all of a sudden, you got this 22-year-old kid who comes along, and all of a sudden, he's on staff at a church of 300 and builds a college ministry to 700 that's double the size of the church, and they send him to Iowa. And all of a sudden, he's building a church that's one of the biggest churches in Iowa. And, and man, I was, I was the poster boy. I wouldn't have had to worry about anything financially ever again. 45 now, I might even... At 45 now, I haven't looked at that movement in a while, but I might even be one of the leaders in that, like Grand Poobahs in that movement. Gary Lamb. Had my own jet. The Gary. I can see it. But I'd have been the fakest individual in the world. I'd have been miserable. Because I had doubts. And what we do is we just push our doubts down. How many, how many people are in marriages that are horrible? And you had all the doubts before you said, I do. Hello. Oh, did I say that? Man. Thomas wasn't willing to settle for secondhand words. He had to know for himself. The greatest thing you can do is get honest with your doubts. I see bumper stickers all the time. God says it and I believe it. 
Man, I wish I was wired that way. I wish it was. Stubborn up here. God says it. Let me make sure he said it. Oh, he did say it. Boom, I believe. No, I don't see where he said that. Mm-mm. I should do a series called God Never Said That. Yeah. Oh, did I? Did someone say I did? I can't even remember what I teach around here. We should do another series called God Never Said That. I did? Oh, okay. That's good preaching then. Until you, until you get honest. Normally, I try to space out my series till I run everybody off in between them. And that way, only like five or six people, like, he already preached that before. Most other people don't know because I was a whole other group I ran off. So you get honest, you'll never truly find answers. Thomas was honest, and Thomas went after answers. It's not enough to doubt. It's not enough to question things. This is where the rubber hits the road. All of you are questioning things. Anybody who's ever done anything has questioned. The key, though, to getting victory over your doubts is to go search for answers about your doubts. A week later, it's been a week, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now, I don't know, I don't know how this happened. Like the doors were locked. I don't know if he just like popped the door open or he just like walked through it. I like to picture him walking through it because that's just how, it just seems like it'd be a better movie that way. Thomas sitting there and Jesus walks through, boom, peace with you. And then he said to Thomas, Jesus knows about your doubts. He's not surprised by them. You're feeling guilty about doubting, and God's like, I know you got him. It's okay. He hasn't talked to Thomas. He said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Oh, sweet smokes, that's good. That's good. I ain't even got that in my notes. God already knows your doubts. He's waiting to give you the answers. Thomas didn't stop with his doubts. The doubts fueled his action for truth. He searched for the answers. The Bible says this took place a week later. He's rolling with the disciples, waiting to see Jesus. A week later, he's still doubting. Love people who ask questions and go searching for the answers. So many people, everyone doubts, but so few are willing to try to solidify their doubts. You have to be willing to find the answers. Man, I struggled when I became a pastor. I didn't understand how things like a drunk driver hitting a family and the children being killed and the drunk driver living, how that, I didn't understand it. It didn't seem fair to me. So many things. I had doubts early on in my ministries. I doubted a lot, but I didn't just doubt. I began to search for answers. I began to get in my Bible. I'll tell you one of the greatest things you can do. And it's going to be old school as it comes. The greatest thing you can do is get in this book. I don't understand it. 
I said, just get in this book. I don't have time. You have time. You got time to do what you want to do. Got time to binge watch Netflix. Got time to keep up with your favorite sports team. I ain't saying get in it for hours on it. I'm saying start with five minutes a day. I don't know where to start. Hmm, give you two places. Go to Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs. Proverbs is a son, our father passing wisdom down to a son. 31 chapters. Read the chapter for the day of the month it is. I'll start in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the first four books in the New Testament. You can never go wrong learning about Jesus. That simple. I think there's all kinds of good stuff in here, but if you never get past Proverbs and the Gospels and you just read that every day, you'll be fine. Hang out with JC. Get in the book. The answers are in the book. Here's what I found out as I read the Bible when I, when I would say, it's not fair. <laughs> you know nowhere in this book does it say God's a fair God? You don't want him to be fair. He's a just God. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. It's not fair. He never promised you it'd be fair. Never. He, he did promise he would never leave you or forsake you. He, he did promise he'd provide for you. He did promise he's preparing a place for you. He did promise he'll walk alongside of you. He did promise, matter of fact, just the opposite. He promised in this world you will have trouble. Take it to the bank. With all due respect to Joel Olstein and his joke every Sunday morning and his walking through the field, the lilies, the sunflowers, and man, I saw a unicorn and it farted out bubbles and I knew that God loved me and I knew everything was going to be all right. And there's never anything that goes wrong when you love Jesus. That's not what this book says. Man, I want to start with a funny joke today. Your hair's a joke. <laughs> Let me tell you what I deserve. I deserve death. But he gives me grace. Psalms 103 says, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And by the way, for the record, I'm sure Joel Osteen is a great person who loves God and has done a lot of amazing things. Oh, Brother Joel. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in trouble. You know how I learned those things? Because I sought God's truth in the Bible. I sought answers for my doubts. What are you doubting today? Then go seek answers. I'm doubting my marriage. Go talk to someone who has a good marriage. I'm doubting my business stuff. Go talk to someone who's ahead of you. My wife told me the day, she said, there's been a change in you. I said, oh, yeah? She said, yeah, man, you have so-and-so in your life, so-and-so in your life, and so-and-so in your life, and you needed them. And I said, why? She said, because they're ahead of you, and they love you, and you can go to them. She goes, you're always pouring into others, but no one's pouring into you. And I said, man, that's good. It's good. Go seek answers for your doubts. Man, doubting without pursuing truth is worthless. 
It just leaves you doubting. Get around people further along in your walk. And let me go ahead and say this too. There will not be one person who's further along in every area. There's not a one magic person. I have people that I go to. They might not even know I go to them. Because they're further along than me. I got people I go to about business, finances. I got people that I go along to about marriage. Kylie, how long you been married? How long? How old are you? Been married 29 of his 50 years. Now here's the deal. Kylie ain't good for much. Him and Betty have been through some stuff. You want to learn how to make a marriage last? That's been ugly? Rough? Been through some hard times? Probably learned something from it. Just saying. But that's the problem. We don't realize that different people bring different value to our life. We see the world standards, and I'm not saying Kylie doesn't line up with the world standards, so do not read into that. But I'm saying we see this standard, and we think they have the answer. They might not. Go to different people for different things. Have your doubts. Look for answers. I'm done right here. This is cool to me. Jesus gave what Thomas Sander, man, how do you fix my stuff? It's wrong in my Bible, but you fix it on the screen. Jesus gave Thomas what his faith needed. I had an extra what in there. Boy, Xander ever leaves this church, we're shutting down. I used to always say if Phil ever leaves, we're shutting down. I still stand by that. But Phil can stay and Xander leaves, I'm done. Jesus gave Thomas what his faith needed. I love this. I love this. Because it shows the heart of God towards doubters. God doesn't look down on you because of your doubts. He meets you where your doubts are. Look what he said. Look what he said. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord, my God. Thomas said, I got my doubts and I need my answers. Boom, I got my answers. I believe and Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. From this moment on, Thomas's life has changed. His doubts are answered. He leaves fishing again. He spends his life spreading the message of Christ. Dies because of his faith. A strong faith. Don't miss this though. That strong faith came from his doubts. It's okay to doubt. It's not okay to do, not do something about your doubts. Trust your doubts. But get the answers to your God will give you what you need when you need it, when you pursue Him. I doubt God sometimes. 
I've been through some things recently. I doubt God. Well, me and God have thrown down lately. Now, I know my favorite scene ever is the movie The Apostle, Robert Duvall. Have anybody seen that? I used to show it all the time in this. I think I've showed it here numerous times. Oh, this seems fitting after the Wolf of Ball tournament yesterday. I like it when Robert Duvall finds out his wife's cheating. He walks down the baseball field and cracks that dude in the head with a bat. Probably wasn't very apostle-like. But he's upstairs and he's screaming and hollering at God. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. He's at his mama's house. And the neighbor calls and says, what's Sonny doing? And the mama says, well, sometimes he talks with God. Sometimes he fights with God. Tonight he's fighting with God. It's okay to fight with God. Just know you're going to lose. Just know you're going to lose. Boy, I fought with him. Cussed at him. Yelled at him. And I can say, man, in the last six, seven weeks, my faith is stronger today than it was then. Because I doubted things and God gave me answers. answer to things. But I saw the truth for those doubts. Some of you just want to wallow in your doubts. That's why you'll never get answers. Let's pray.